Welcome to the podcast Sagacious IP Tech Talks with Sumit Prasad of Sagacious IP. This is a -a one-of-its-kind podcast focused on learning and sharing experiences of both intellectual property tool developers and their users from different industry verticals in their pursuit to uncover new age tools and technologies that shape the future of global intellectual property practice. Hear from tool developers and service providers, IP attorneys and partners, in-house IP counsels and IP practitioners to understand how AI, machine learning, robotic process automation, big data analytics, cloud computing, blockchain, and many other technologies affect the next generation of IP practices. So let's get into the podcast with your host, Sumit. Welcome to today's episode of Sagacious IP Tech Talks. Our guest for today is Dr. Curtis Wattsworth, founder and CEO of 310 Solutions, also known for their product Dorothy AI. Kurt is a patent lawyer uh, with a demonstrated history of working in legal industry, legal services industry, skilled in different domains including medical devices, patent law, biotechnology, pharmaceuticals, software, chemistry, polymer and genomics. 310 Solutions have developed a platform, a search platform, Dorothy, that brings control of the patent search back to the patent attorneys and inventors. It claims to reduce the cost by eliminating irrelevant references, and we'll know more about this when we talk to Kurt about this. The team behind Dorothy AI is a mix of top-notch patent lawyers, including Kurt himself, software engineers, developers, and researchers. The founders and advisors at 310 Solutions, the team behind uh, Dorothy, have 80-plus years of experience prosecuting patents, advising clients, and analyzing search results. So let's take this conversation forward with Kurt and learn from his experience of creating this AI search platform and his journey of uh, developing tools for IP industry. Hi, Kurt. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So as a customary question, uh, let's start by knowing your journey of starting this company and of starting this platform, Dorothy AI. And tell us more about how you landed up on this product vision, why you chose AI search to be the product vision for Dorothy AI. Great. So I'll give you a little bit of background on myself. I started in the patent industry as a patent agent back in 2004, 2005. Uh, I spent 12 years in big law where I did everything from prosecute patents from the beginning, drafting patents up through, you know, M&A and VC due diligence and that sort of thing. So I've been kind of along the entire range of what you do with patents. Okay. Um, As a practitioner, I don't know if you would say crutch, but one of the things I really rely on to bring the best services to my clients is patent search. I'm a big proponent of having a strategy as you go into a patent before you even file it, understanding what the landscape is, what kind of areas we think we can carve out and where we can get the most value for those inventions Mm -hmm. in the marketplace. And to do that, it takes a lot of searching because you have to understand not only, you know, what patents are out there, but also what companies are involved, where their most recent patents are. So Mm -hmm. what type of technology are they going after? And how does the invention that I'm working with, with my client fit within that entire landscape? And where can we get the most value? So after 12 years in big law, I left there in 2017 to start my own business working with startups and small businesses. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that was just, I'd kind of priced myself out of working with the clients that I really liked working with because I was getting too expensive and it was very difficult for them to pay me. And two, having done a lot of the due diligence, I could see that there were places where some of the early, early stage companies could have gotten better value out of their patent applications. And you have less chance of, you know, being devalued when you get into a VC or an M&A um, start a situation where people are really looking at how long they can um, use those patents to get how much term is left that will allow choir or the VCs to really take advantage of that patent exclusivity. So a lot of it was really trying to build value early on because mm-hmm. that would really help those companies as they move forward. Um, and we're starting to see the fruits of that now, where I have a couple of clients that I started with, you know, back in 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. that were literally, you know, inventors in their basements in some cases, garages in some cases, who are now in a situation where they're being looked at by, you know, real VCs and real acquirers and getting a lot, a lot of attention for the work they're doing. And a lot of that is because we built a good patent position for them. So I can have a conversation with the VC about their patent position and they'll be, you know, happy with it and want to move Mm -hmm. forward. Um, And a lot of that comes back to searching. Mm -hmm. And as I started my own business, that's one of the places where I really kind of focused is, you know, we're going to build a strategy to really build value in your company. And in the course of doing that, I caught the attention of Michael Seamus, who is a patent lawyer and also a... um, distinguished career professor at Carnegie Mellon University. So we, well, he reached out to me. Um, We had coffee a couple of times and and basically just commiserated about how difficult it is to do quality search using the Boolean-based and keyword-type searching tools that are available. Um, At this point in his career, he's doing less kind of patent work and more expert witness work. But regardless, he still has to do a lot of searching in order to understand the state of the art at the time. So we started, you know, kind of talk about, you know, potentially trying to build a patent search engine. Mm-hmm. He is on the same floor with the people who developed Watson originally and a lot of that big initial kind of NLP tech. Mm-hmm. So we're in the perfect place to do it. We ended up taking a group of uh, master students who were finishing their capstone project, giving them the project of building a search engine that worked on the patent database and use some of the NLP, sorry, mm-hmm. um, techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, we did a lot of word embeddings at that point in time. What we got out of the end was a search engine that worked pretty well, but had some limitations. For example, it was a very, very good search engine when you are looking at electronics and Mm -hmm. software type patents. Mm -hmm. But if you looked at chemistry or pharmaceuticals, the area where I was more, Mm -hmm. you got less good results. So they weren't horrible, but they weren't as good as we could make them. So the next Mm -hmm. step in the evolution of the company was bringing on Jada Pass, who we took from the Pittsburgh Supercomputing Center. He has a long history of working with uh, high performance computing and also has a chemistry background. So he was kind of the perfect person to kind of bring into that role. Okay, we have this patent search engine that's really good with Mm -hmm. electronics and software, but we wanna make it good at chemistry. And he took a relatively unconventional approach. So basically the way we've developed the system is he built a 
uh, a system in the back end that allows us to run multiple searches simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Those searches are then recombined and sorted by relevancy and then returned to the user. Mm-hmm. So we're taking a natural language query. So you don't have to use any sort of keywords. You're not doing mm-hmm. any of the kind of Boolean operators and that sort of thing. Syntax. The complete yeah, syntax. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to worry about syntax. You mm-hmm. just have to worry about putting as much information as you have about the invention you're searching for mm-hmm. in the query. And then we're running that now through five different search models. Mm-hmm recombining those results and then sorting those by relevancy. And in the course of doing that, we're also doing a CPC classification. So we built a CPC classifier that's 80% accurate to the subclass level. So it's very good. And we made it particularly broad to make sure we're not really missing anything. That was our first search engine and that's our, that's became our novelty product. But as we were talking to more uh, patent lawyers about it, one of the questions that we always got was, okay, does it do freedom to operate searching? Um, and that's something that had really always been kind of in the back of my mind, because obviously as you're, especially if you're working with startups, one of the things you want to make sure is you're not going to launch a product that immediately infringes somebody's patent. They come in and effectively blow up the company. Right. Absolutely. So I do a lot of freedom to operate searching myself, mm-hmm. but I talked to Jay, we put together a plan to build a freedom to operate search engine that looked at each individual element of a product and then could perform a search based on the entire invention. And then more specifically on each individual element and where those land in the patent landscape, either together or individually. And from there, we could start to take apart where the risk is associated with that freedom to operate. So for example, well, and we did a bunch of other things on the backside. So obviously we know that in most cases, a new product is going to have some things that are in the public domain and some things that are new. We built effectively a filter where the user can select those novel or new components and remove some of those and not necessarily remove because we're still using that information, but reduce the weight of product or of the components of that product that are that we know are in the public domain. And then we can weight the other components against each other to really kind of hone in specifically on the things that you're searching for and the places where you're going to have the most risk. So we can reduce the amount of search time it takes to perform a complete freedom to operate analysis from, you know, weeks of looking through patent after patent after patent that you've identified in a Boolean search mm-hmm. to a matter of minutes where you perform the search, putting in all of your components. Then you look at those search results. We return individual mm-hmm. claims that include one or more of the components. So you can mm-hmm. see those before you even open the patent. And we also give it a relevancy score. Um, The other thing we started to do is we're looking at ways to make patent landscapes more accessible. So for the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, it's been a real, a lot of patent search companies Mm -hmm. are putting in a data visualization component where you're getting heat maps and bubble charts and all these sorts of things. Problem with those, and as a patent lawyer, I, I use those for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that when you put one of those charts up on your screen, as you're, you know, explaining it to a client, you're going to say a lot of ums. They're going to ask you questions about, well, what's in that valley? <laughs> and you have no idea because it's impossible to tell, basically. Yeah. And the only thing you know about the peak is that it's associated with one or two different words or concepts. 
that are very similar to all of the peaks around it. So kind of mm-hmm. getting that granular picture of what that landscape looks like. So what we did with the freedom to operate search is we quantified the risk associated with each of those elements by looking at things like how much term is re- remaining, how similar the query is to the results that we found, um, whether that patent has been litigated, how litigious the assignee is, all the things patent lawyer would generally kind of think about as they're looking at a potentially a, a patent that their client is in, potentially infringing. So when, when you talk about this uh, system, uh, can inventors also go in, log in and then play around with these features or it would they would need to understand what claims uh, look like or when you talk about term, when you talk about the remaining term of a patent and even when you talk about the assignees, inventors may not be you know, aware of those lingos and, and they may find it difficult to understand how to use the system. So is it that friendly that inventors can also go in and do freedom to operate search or it's more suited for patent attorneys? Well, it's more designed for patent attorneys in that the information we're returning are the things that the, the patent lawyer is going to want to look at. The query itself and you know, even looking at the results, completely fine for anybody. Uh, and we built it that way. For example, the novelty search, we, we effectively made it so you can copy and paste into our query whatever invention disclosure you get from your client. So if you want to do a first pass novelty search on a new invention that you know your client just sent you on a, in an uh, invention disclosure document, mm-hmm. you effectively copy that description paste it into the uh, query box, give it a a novel feature to kind of focus the search and go from there. Um, And it's interesting because we've talked to a lot of people who, uh, well, quite a few in, you know, R&D heavy companies. Okay. One of the thought processes that I've gone down with several different companies is the idea of giving the Dorothy AI tools to project managers. Yeah. So then they can do that type of search. They'll have yeah. generally a little bit more of the IP background so they mm-hmm. can understand it um, yeah. and then use that to help kind of bridge the gap between the patent lawyer and the inventor. So now you have that other person who has a deep, deep knowledge of mm-hmm. the invention who can then look at the patent landscape, work with the in-house or external patent counsel mm-hmm. and kind of bridge the gap with the inventor. Um, and again, just streamlining that entire process. So when, when you talk to your customers, I like that scenario where you are talking about giving this access to a project manager who understands both the worlds a little bit, and then he can bridge the gap. So when you are recently talking to your customers, is there any story that uh, you can share with us where they consider these parameters to calculate the ROI of using these platforms, such platforms in, in general, in any AI platform, they have to measure some ROI uh, of the results that they are getting from the platform, how quickly they can comprehend to that information, whether it is relevant for them or not. After Even after running it on an AI system, would they have to again you know, roll back to a manual searcher where they will analyze the patterns and then they get back to us. So any case study where you can share how they measure their ROI, how they position this internally? Yes. So this is kind of anecdotal, but one of our customers received an invention disclosure and a list of prior art from one of their clients. And they had spent six weeks effectively putting that together and doing the searching. Like, obviously they weren't, you know, it wasn't six weeks of 10 hours a day going in and performing yeah. searches, right? Overall, but a lot, a lot of work that yeah. went into that list. 
and he was relatively new to the platform and decided he was just going to do exactly what we had talked about. Take mm-hmm. the invention disclosure, put it into the query, give it a novel feature, and then run the search and then compare the results that our platform got to the results that he received in the invention disclosure. And he said, and this was a, he did a, a literally a 45 minute search. He did the search, did a little bit of, of refining and then got his final results. Mm-hmm. And the final results matched up almost identically with the list of search of uh, references that he got from his client. Okay. And at that point he became, you know, well, obviously I'm going to use this as much as I can because it, you know, cut out a month of work basically. Yeah. So, and being able to return that sort of information quickly, particularly now, because people want that information right away. And, and even dealing with my own clients, mm-hmm. you know, if they give you a project like a, a novelty search, for example, they don't want to wait two weeks to see what those results are. And half mm-hmm. the, and most of the time when you respond to that email two weeks later with your list of results, they're like, oh, I forgot I gave this to you. <laughs> right. Like, when, but you, if you can take care of that all within, you know, a day or two, mm-hmm. I mean, it just moves the process along much more quickly and much more efficiently. Efficiently. Yeah. So, and, and I think in my opinion, other people in the industry mm-hmm. disagree, but I mean, I think efficiency is where the legal industry needs to go. So we can't continue to do the, you know, billing by hours and extending product or uh, projects out as long as we can, and then, you know, cutting, writing off and cutting things. I mean, mm-hmm. our clients want those answers quickly and they want their answers correctly. So if we can take the amount of time that an associate or an agent or even a paralegal spends performing searches, reduce that so they can put more effort into the analysis and into giving that information to their client in a way that makes it more accessible to them, then that is a win for everybody. That's our goal. So in general, when you, you know, talk on those on different forums, how do you see uh, that's a very valid question that people have to think about these efficiency factors when you talk to different people in ib world how do they react to this evolving landscape of technology like right now we have good access to ml models we have knowledge graph technology improving at a very fast pace blockchain is there there are different other technologies that allows you to put the data in in cloud and then process it quickly we have such a processing capacity so with this improving landscape of it technologies have you seen any change in in the perception of people using tools for improving efficiencies? I have. I think there are a lot of people who are very interested in using technology, particularly in the the legal world. Mm -hmm. I think the issue is kind of adoption because everybody's worried, right? What happens if I start using this thing and it doesn't work right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the question in my mind should be, okay, the the tools that I'm using now don't really work right, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I'm used to them. So I know what I get when I get it, right? Mm -hmm. So now Mm -hmm. we're in a situation where, and I spend a lot of time doing this, trying to explain the technology to our customers and potential customers and that sort of thing. What are we doing that's different? Why is what we're doing better? How is this really going to impact your practice in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of the focus. And I mean, I think it's one of those things, most lawyers in the back of their head know that this Mm -hmm. type of thing can help. They're not entirely sure exactly how, and you know, and then you have to fit it into your entire schedule, which is usually chaotic and crazy. (laughs) 
So, so I mean, I'm hoping <laughs> talks like this can help people understand what we're doing. Absolutely. And, and interestingly, a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, when this is just my perception, when companies scout for tools, often they seem to be on a fishing expedition of, let's say, finding Nemo. And uh, do tell me if you agree to that. Do you suggest one should first look into tools and build a process around it to improve the efficiencies? Or they should first put some effort in creating a process, creating a use case, and then fit in those tools to improve the overall efficiencies? Because if you don't have a process, you really won't know where to put in these tools because tools cannot completely remove the manual process. It can improve the efficiencies, as you said. So you should know where to put in this tool so that your entire workflow is more efficient. Let's say 70 or 80% of that task is done through that and you just you know, take care of those 20%. And to have that process in place, that's I have seen that many of the companies, they just want a tool that can that is a genie and they can solve their problem. Yeah. No, and that's exactly right. And I think, well, and that's something I put a lot of thought into. Like if you go to if you go to the Dorothy AI blog, you'll see a bunch of articles about, you know, improving workflows and how to make, well, how to make more money being a patent lawyer. Because I mean, let's be honest, that's what we're all here for, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, building tools is awesome, but the goal is is to get it out there and sell it so people will pay us for it. <laughs> Absolutely. And the only reason they're going to pay us for it is because it's helping them make money. Make so, money. I mean, yeah. it all works itself out. Close and I mean, no. at some point, I completely agree. And a lot of the processes that we work with in particularly big law firms are, in my opinion, kind of antiquated and need a little updating and that sort of thing. Because it's mm -hmm. not always the people who are the expert in the, in the field who are doing the testing on the tool. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we're in the IP space. But most of the IT people are not at most law firms, right? So Absolutely. they're going to do some testing and they're going to try and get some ideas of how well it works and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. But until it's really in the hands of the people who it was designed for, mm -hmm. I, I think it's difficult to do that. So my, my suggestion would be, you know, particularly if you're looking for a, a patent search tool, well, the first suggestion would be go to Dorothy AI and you'll never look back. <laughs> but... I mean, get a group of patent lawyers and, you know, just use it for a couple of weeks in the sort of things that they would normally either outsource or, you know, do on a daily basis. Like I effectively do a search every, you know, couple hours. And that's not just because I own a search company. It's because, you know, that's how I practice too. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of that sort of thing going on. Uh, and the truth is those customers who have gone that route have more quickly adopted. Like uh -huh. once we get into the whole, we have to go through the I, CIO and this type of person, it tends to slow things down and we lose momentum. And then the next thing <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Whereas if you get somebody who's on the ground actually using the product that gets excited about it, it becomes a totally different ballgame. Uh -huh. And then it's a matter of how quickly can we get this into their hand. And we're looking for more of those sorts of, of stories and they're out there. They're ready to absolutely, happen. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so um, uh, coming back to Dorothy, what is the future of this platform? What are key things that you are planning to roll out in next two to three years? By the way, does it also run invalidity searches? If I put in a pattern number and try to find results that can invalidate the claims? <laughs> yeah, invalidity is, is well, that's the next platform that we're working on. So, so that's the best part about the framework that we built. Mm-hmm is that it is we can modify it in any sort of way 
We can add modules. We can take models out. We can add models in order to get to the results that we're really looking for. So that's kind of been our our focus now. We have our novelty. We have our freedom to operate. We're going to add invalidity within the next couple of months. But then in the background, we're working on a, a computer vision based chemical structure search platform. Okay. So we have the framework for that, and we just need to do a little more training in order for the computer vision to take the organic molecules apart mm-hmm. correctly, because that's most of where the issue is. So it's a, it's a lot of training, but we have the framework ready to go. And our goal is to get Dorothy Chemistry, which will be our computer vision-based chemistry uh, module, out within the next six months. Great. And out to either beta testers and you know initial users. And I don't know if you've ever been through that process of doing a chemical structure search. It is horrible, <laughs> particularly in the, in the patent space, right? Because in most cases, you're looking at fragments of a compound that have Absolutely. all these different R groups hanging off of it. And then you have to mix and match to get mm-hmm. to whatever compound you're, you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, looking at the, ent- the list of compounds that are in the patent database is difficult. Mm-hmm. Some of them are image-based, some of them are in tables, some of them are in the text, like they're all over the place. One of the first things we did, yeah, yeah, formulas. One of the first things we did is developed a way to extract all of that information at the same time. So we have a database now that has literally every chemical compound out of the entire patent world's patent database. That computer vision model will be able to search that. But on top of all of that, right? is because we have that framework and we can run multiple searches simultaneously, we can take the description of the chemical compound, what they're using it for, how they make it, all that sort of thing, build that into the query along with the image of that compound and run that entire search. So now you're seeing how that compound is used in context Mm -hmm. and how similar the previous uses are of similar compounds. So it'll give you much, much more information, much, much more quickly. More semantically uh, looking at the data, not just syntax-wise now. <laughs> it's yeah, not keyword-based. Exactly. It's more semantically how humans perceive uh, information and then comprehend it. Yep. And then putting it out there for the user mm-hmm. so that they can you know, use it in their practice. Great. So and then uh, the, other, the other thing we're doing is really trying to eliminate the black box because that's the other thing that kind of holds people back from AI is well, I don't understand what's happening in the background. <laughs> absolutely. So, I, I've heard it many times. Like, we don't know what, why you chose these 10 results or why you chose these 100 results over, over a million of results that are available in that domain. So if they're given a rational behind why these patents were selected or they are ranked high that in indirectly helps in uh, increasing their adoption of that platform so they they have more trust in that platform right and well and we're doing that by effectively opening up the, the black box so now we like a lot of the waiting and that sort of thing that we're doing for example selecting priority elements in the dorothy freedom search right mm-hmm. this gives the user access to what's going on in that black box and what you'll see is when you change the priority elements or you change the weighting you'll see a change in the way those results are returned mm-hmm. so now you have more control over what's going on with mm-hmm. the ai because you can adjust it on the fly as you're doing the search so rather than you know building another query with a bunch of extra synonyms and that sort of thing 
-hmm. What we can do is really, you know, look at that query and let you weight what's important and we'll pull that out in those returned results. So I personally using it, find it amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I can do that, right? Look, one of the, um, I don't know if this search is on our YouTube channel or not. I don't know if it is, but um, anyway, one of the searches I do when I do demos is Mm -hmm. for a um, automatic lacing shoe that uses a zipper system. So you mm-hmm. pull on the laces, the zipper comes up off the back and then you tie it and it's all mm-hmm. good, right? And it's interesting because we can use the exact same query do a little bit different weighting and look at the zipper system itself. So we're not looking, it'll come back, not necessarily based in shoes. We can do some other weighting and get just shoes that use zippers and laces together. And then other weighting, we can get like methods of using zippers and laces together Hmm. so you can get in three searches that take you less than a half an hour Mm -hmm. a whole view of what's going on in that space and more importantly you have the control to that you can change the way you have the control to do it that's exactly right that's exactly okay uh that sounds really interesting so one final question when that's more from a business point of view uh what are the top objections or challenges that you come across while discussing this tool and this is applicable for any IP tool uh, with your potential customers or potential clients and uh, how do you overcome them? So there is some hesitancy to bringing new tools on Mm -hmm. at most big firms. Mm -hmm. So that's the big thing is kind of working through that process. Um, Some of the other, so the searches aren't exactly um, instantaneous. So people now are used to performing a Google search and getting results almost immediately. Uh, So we spent a lot of time over the last couple of months reducing the search time. In some cases, they would go a little bit long into like half hour. And we have that down now to less than three minutes. And hopefully by the end of the week, we're in about a minute. Um, So, and it was just one of those things we were focused most, our our entire focus has been getting good results. We weren't focused on, you know, making the results return quickly or anything like that. We just wanted to make sure... When you perform that search, you're getting the results you need. And now we're at a point where we're getting those types of results. And now we want to improve the efficiency. So we focused on reducing the amount of time it takes. We're actually pushing, I don't know when this will go out. We're actually pushing a uh, notification on Monday about the increase in speed to our customers. And I think that will be a big, a big help. Just because, you know, people just don't want to sit. (laughs) (laughs) They want to best utilize I understand time. that. Yeah. Yeah. So now they're getting great results in less than a minute. So it should be good, right? <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. So any message you want to give to the IP community uh, and uh, at large, I mean, what support you expect in return from the, uh, the tool users uh, and you being on the other side of the table as a tool developer? I guess the message is really about efficiency. Mm-hmm. Right. And being very client centric and your clients are expecting things to happen quickly. So, you know, we need to develop tools that allow that to happen. Um, okay. If you can keep your clients happy, you'll be a happy patent lawyer, basically. <laughs> so, and that, that's our goal. <laughs> true, true. Thank you, Gert. Thank you for your valuable time and sharing your perspectives. It was really an interesting talk. Uh, listeners, if you are keen to use this platform, please visit DorothyAI.com and drop in your requests, interests, and uh, I'm sure Kurt and someone from his team will get back to you. As always, uh, you can visit to iptoolshub.com to check out all the links and resources of many IP tools that we have listed there and get benefited out of it. 
That's all for today's episode. See you next time. Take care and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast Sagacious IP Tech Talks with your host, Sumit Prasad from Sagacious IP. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate it and listen to more episodes in the series. For more information about Sagacious IT for IP initiative and IP tools in general, write to us at info at sagaciousresearch.com. Please do note that the contents of this podcast were intended for general informational purposes only. The views of the guests and the host were their personal views and do not represent Sagacious IP. The facts of every legal, business, or technical matter are unique, and the content of this podcast should not be considered as offering legal, business, or technology advice for your specific situation.